Well, good evening. And this is Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and uh, Master Class Theology. This is uh, Big Rev or Joel. And uh, we're doing something special tonight. Uh, I know a lot of you who are listening to this have either, either been in some kind of a self-quarantine or you're doing some social distancing or you're, you're working at a home, you're doing a home office, and this is uh, giving you a nice break in the midst of your, your home office adventure. And what's really cool about this is I've got uh, a dear friend uh, with me as well tonight, and uh, he's going to help us on this journey. He's going to help. He's one of our teachers, and, he, and his name is Mick, and he and I teach um, throughout the week. We teach this class, and, and it's just a special honor to have Mick here tonight with us as well. Hopefully, moving forward, we can keep doing this. Um, but yeah, so Mick, you want to say anything or say hi or how okay. you doing? All right, here we go. Uh, anything? Hi, how you doing? Is that good? Nice. All right, nice. cool. So we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and uh, this is the chapter of Ecclesiastes that everyone seems to know uh, because of that song from sometime in the 60s. I don't know, I was, I was not even remotely born yet. I was like negative 20 years old or almost, but um, the, the a time, a time to kill, a time to heal, something like that. Everyone knows that because of this chapter, and uh, tonight's class is called Times, and What's really cool about that is one of my favorite verses. I do a lot of hospital visits, and um, I've got two main hospital verses when I go into the hospital bed. And the first one is, is Psalm uh, 4610, to be still and know that I'm God. But the second one is Psalm 3115. And David says this. He says, my times are in your hands. He's speaking to God. And what's really cool about that is that the Hebrew is plural. We wouldn't say that in English. We would say my time is in his hands. But my times are in your hands. I love that it's plural because we go through times in our life. See, I just said it right there. I made it plural. We go through times. And that's kind of the idea of this opening here. We've got a time for this and a time for that. There's multiple times. And so all of life is in God's hands. And let's just, let's just uh, open up with a quick word of prayer and, we'll, and then we'll sally forth. God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for um, these dear people listening. Uh, to this podcast right now as they open up your word and they're journeying, uh, continuing their journey in Ecclesiastes, Lord. And um, Lord, there's a lot of a lot of uncertainty and fear and, and worry going on right now. And um, in this world with this, uh, this coronavirus or the COVID-19 virus, Lord, there's so much going on with that. But we as a church have an opportunity to, to show our trust in you. And I love that verse. From Psalm 31, because David, just a verse prior, says, but I trust you, Lord. I say, you are my God, my times are in your hands. And that's what we're doing with this podcast. We're, tr we're showing our trust in you, and we're, we're moving forward, and we're wanting to give you glory as we teach and study your word, God. And we thank you for this time you've given us tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Amen. we start off with life, um, and, and um, hopefully uh, this... <laughs> Many people listening to this may not have a chance to get this worksheet like we would in a class, but I'll do my very best uh, to read exactly what's on there. Verses 1 to 8. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Well, that kind of sounds like now, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Everyone's keeping six feet from each other. Wow. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. 
a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Wow. So we've got here, the human experience, number one, is described here literally and metaphorically. That's the beauty of poetry. And this is, this is the portion of the text that's clearly poetry. If you're reading this out of a Bible at home, you're going to see usually the text formatted with some kind of formatting that it indicates as poetry. And so we're living this life here, and, and you look at a, a, like a time to plant and time to uproot. That could mean a literal sense in terms of a gardener or sowing and reaping. But if you've ever moved to an area, you've uprooted yourself from one area, and you've moved to another city, and now you've planted yourself. So you can see how that could have a metaphorical meaning as well as a literal meaning. And uh, second of all, rather than being prescriptive, these words are descriptive. Um, this is my, my take on the, on the book of Acts. Some, some people like to look at the book of Acts and go, see, this is it. And this is exactly how everything should go. So we ought to have, you know, everything they did in the book of Acts, including healings and speaking in tongues, that needs to be the norm. And that kind of takes the book of Acts not at face value. It makes it more of a prescription like you get from your doctor as opposed to, hey, this is just describing the first century world. I like to think that this is just describing the events of life and in general terms, like with a big, big fat paintbrush, like a bigger roller, just kind of here's here's the way life is. Make what do you think about that? Oh well, yeah, it's definitely a broad stroke. Uh, that's for sure. But the big thing I think t to get out of this is that God is the one that determines these times, not so much us. I mean, verse two right away, the opening one, a time to be born, a time to die. Mm. We don't control that. Mm. Nice. So right away here, the the author here this. He wants us to thank you, Solomon, whoever it is. He calls himself Kohelet, which means the teacher or the preacher. Kohelet, right away, is he's speaking just very you know, philosophically here about life. He's letting us know, here's the basic framework of life. Mm -hmm. And um, so we're expecting to learn about life today, tonight. We're expecting to learn um, key things about this life, this life under the sun that he's talked about. And um, so we go to the response, 9 to 15. And uh, what do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. And this is the second time he said that. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so uh, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Hmm. He has also said eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. There's a lot here. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's just kind of go through. I've got seven things on the sheet here. Number one. Humans aren't the only actors on the stage in the play of life. There's another big actor, isn't there, Mick? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you who like to think that you are uh, kind of like the master of your own ship, the one who's doing your destiny, your own destiny, um, a lot of people like to think, oh, I'm the one acting on my own stage, and I'm, I'm, I'm playing the way life goes. But if you're a Christian, um, nobody's in your audience but Jesus. Mm -hmm. And you're living to please him. It's his applause that you want the most. But humans aren't the only actors on the stage in the play of life. Um, Kohel is right away to talk about God, right away. God, God has done this, and God is, is, is part of this. Um, no, 
number two, toil is a burden in that man cannot manipulate it to ultimately gain what he wants. And this is Ecclesiastes in a nutshell. We want something out of this life. And what's going to give us that? How are we going to get this gain or this profit or this end result? What's going to lead us to that direction? We, we talked about last week how pleasure and wisdom, none of those things in and of themselves are going to do it. But what is going to do it? What, 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 what is able, does man have the power to be able to manipulate this life? Is life so much about me that I can, that I can get the best possible life now and that I can get the best possible results now with me, 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 and me? Um, we, again, last week we looked at that. This guy had a silver spoon, and he had everything he possibly could have wanted, and he ended the chapter, uh, chapter two with he was just so depressed. He hated life. I don't think it worked. He could get anything he wanted, but he never got what he wanted. He still hasn't found what he's looking for, as the song would say. Time is a burden, number three, because though man can comprehend, he's insufficient to understand. I love, I mean, this is one of those verses, Mick, that is so great. He said eternity in the hearts of man. Mm-hmm. This is what makes us different than any other animal. We can comprehend eternity. Yeah. And it's it's a blessed thing to be able to under to try to seek after God. It's also a burden because though we can seek after it, we don't have the possibility to, to be able to understand it. Eternity is still, you know, by definition, we can't grasp it. It, it, it is something that we're used to things having a beginning and an end. And when things in fact, when I, was, when I was a kid, I was trying to grasp the concept of eternity, and I used to get scared of the book of Revelation, not because of all the, of the symbols or whatnot. Yeah, they had their own fears, I guess, but the very fact of eternity, and I was, it would scare me because I just could not possibly comprehend it. I was like, when's it going to end? Well, it's not going to end, but why not? But what about this? And, you know, you're sitting in school, you're waiting for the clock to turn to 3.30 or something. You're ready for the next class to begin or end, and we set our time by, by just... But by things beginning and things ending, we're used to that. But eternity never ends. And just when you think it's ended, it's just getting warmed up. And that used to really freak me out as a kid. I just didn't have the, the, the cognitive ability to process that. And I think that's the frustration here is eternity is something that we can comprehend it, but we can't understand it. And that's a burden. Time is a burden. Number four, only God's work truly lasts forever. It's never altered by man. Boy, that just kind of hammers out a legacy for me. I want to do something and accomplish something, but I just don't know if, if what I can do in and of itself will ever really accomplish anything according to what God. What do you think, Mick? I mean, even with our free will, God's still going to prevail. That's really what it comes down to. You know, we still have to play in God's box. So we can do whatever moves we want to within that box, but at the end of the day, we're still in his box. And he kind of changes a bit in verse 12. And he, he, he kind of gets a bit happier. There's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. And that's, you know, number five here. The good life finds satisfaction in being good. I love that. It, it, you can actually, to find good, it, we want to think about a lot of different ways about good. But to find good, actually be good. Live a good life. Mm-hmm. Make good decisions. Like, there's a value in that. And... That's, we can find satisfaction in actually living a good life, not living a selfish life, but seeking goodness. And satisfaction, number six, what is done under the sun is responding to what is done by God. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of, in, 
not inserting theology into life, but seeing life as an expression of theology. It's like God is at work no matter what. Yeah. And we learned this at the tail end of our previous series with Esther. When you couldn't find God the whole time throughout Esther, then you realize, oh my, God has been at work this whole time. And you can have satisfaction in life when your daily toil, it's kind of like how the reformers used to look at it. Uh, I don't know if it was Luther or Calvin, one of those guys, they said, you know what, see your work as worship. And all of a sudden your work takes on a brand whole new experience and perspective. Yeah. Your life is worship. And with the stuff that you, you, you know, I used to work at an auto parts factory and I just remember you do the same thing, the same thing, the same thing and the assembly line is never ending the same thing, the same thing. And some of our lives are like that where you go to work or you have this or you have that and you're like, oh man, this, I, I just do the same thing every day and I just don't know if I have any meaning to my time. But your life may seem like it's under the sun. But yeah. respond to what's done by God. Yeah. I think one of the things that we also need to look at is like verses 9 and 10. Well, first of all, this this portion, the 9, nine through 15, is the, uh, the uh, not Kohalith, but the 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 second voice speaking here, you know, um, and, he, and, and he's kind of answering the questions that Kohalith had, had placed earlier, nine and, um, mm-hmm. nine and 10 being kind of, he's repeating the question that he asked in chapter 113. And, um, and then in verses 12 through 15, he's, um, the commentator is, is reiterating what he said in chapter two, verses 24 to 26. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like here we're getting that insert from the, the voice of, the real voice of reason. Good stuff. Yeah. Number seven, finally, the only rational response to reality is a life centered on God. Mm-hmm. And that's an acknowledgement of response. You know, it, we read in the New Testament about the demons, and the demons have really good theology. They know, they know who God is. You read the gospel accounts, and the demons usually know who Jesus is. No one else seems to know, but the demons know. They know who Jesus is. And they don't want Jesus defeating them early. They, they understand that. There's an acknowledgement about God and, oh, yeah, life is all about God. I'm just going to acknowledge that. And an acknowledgement certainly is is important. But a life is centered on God. It's one thing to acknowledge it. It's another thing to live that way. That kind of takes it out of the theory into the practice. And that's the only real rational response um, to life is it's centered on God. And everything has to go back to God, whether it's God giving you a gift or God doing things for the human race or God setting her eternity in the human heart. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. As Nick said, living in God's box, that acknowledges that God's in control and that I'm going to live my life with that reality. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just going to give it lip service. And that leads us right to our next section on perspective, uh, 16 to 21. And I saw something else under the sun. And remember, that's 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 the Ecclesiastes code word for you. Know, he, under the sun is kind of like toil. It's, it's, if, if, if you're working in an office, you're not getting that farmer's tan that you would if you're working out in the heat all day. So the, the heat of the day, kind of, kind of a depressing kind of a toil of this life, uh, the, the, the rat race kind of under the sun, the rat race. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. There will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every need. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. 
As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place, all come from dust, and the dust all return. Who knows? Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down to the earth? You know, it was, I've, got a, I've got a biology degree. It was, it was, op- it was eye-opening for me. Um, I remember the, um, the class, was it, was it Linnaeus? The, the scientist that did like the, the two-name naming system for everybody. So human is homo sapiens, as everyone has a genus and a species. And we were looking at what, what a human being is. And a human being goes all the way back. Well, we're not a plant. We're not a fungus. We're not a, you know, any of the other categories. But we, we do fit into animals. We are an animal in the sense of uh, a biological classification. And thousands of years ago, um, the, the teacher is doing the same thing here, and he's lumping us in with animals. And uh, yeah, it's just something interesting about this. We are obviously from the Genesis account much more than the animals. We are precious. We alone bear God's image. There's something different and more profound about human beings. But you know what? We all, you know, the, my dog that sits in my living room breathes the same air that I breathe. And um, there's something about us here. That is different, but you know what? There's something that's also the same. Number one, the present reality, the present unjust reality will not last. God guarantees justice for all his time. And this text here is talking about, you know, he's seeing where he thinks he ought to be seeing judgment or justice, he's seeing wickedness. And and it's it's grieving him. And but then he realizes, you know what? God's the one in control of this time. And God's gonna bring that justice. And God's God's in control of that. Number two, one of the blessings of trials is to remind us that God is at work and we are not. You know, this, this trial that God is testing us, that God is uh, sending us through various things. And we learn as we go through the trials of life that really quickly, I'm not God. And that's a great theological position to be in. And number three, death renders the search for gain or advantage pointless. At some point, you're going to die. And at some point, I'm going to die. And... The people who wrote these words, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, they're long dead. And death is like the great equalizer in that sense, at least philosophically. Mick, what do you think about this section here we just looked at? Well, this is a big one. Um, You know, again, um, we are not God. I think that's one of the biggest reminders here. We, like the animals, are created. The difference between us and the animals, per se, is just that they were just spoken into existence and we had a, a special breath that they didn't get. So um, there is that. But at the end of the day, we are created beings and we are not God. Mm. There's a, uh, I found an illustration on, on King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was, he was, the, he was the biggest fish in his pond. He was the dude. He was it. He was the most powerful guy in his world, if not the world. And uh, we, we hear about him. He's the one that sacked uh, Jerusalem in 586 B.C. and carted away the exiles. And the, we read about in the Old Testament the Babylonian exile. He's Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. He's most famous for, um, uh, he had the, the, the image of gold that was erected. Everyone had to worship that image. And then all that didn't want to worship it got thrown into a fiery furnace. We remember in the chapters of Daniel, Daniel was there and, and his his three friends, and they got you know fun names: Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Veggie Tales called him Rakshak and Benny. Um, but there's an illustration there because in Daniel three, Nebuchadnezzar is saying this: "I'm a god, 
worship me. Here's my image. You, everyone bow down to me. And then by chapter 4, he has his dream, and Daniel you know, gives the dream interpretations. He's letting him know, you're, gonna, you're about to be humbled, king. Um, get ready. And so and later on in chapter 4, the king be, actually became like an animal. And it's almost like he's living out what, what Koheleth is talking about here. It's like um, being like an animal. I mean, it's um, the, surely the fate of human beings, verse 19, is like that of animals. The same fate awaits them both. And the king, the Nebuchadnezzar story, he actually, I mean, it was kind of creepy and crazy. He's out there, he's humbling himself, he's letting his fingernails grow out, he's, he's literally eating grass like a cow. I mean, check it out in Daniel chapter 4, see what happens to this guy. Well, it's not so much he's humbling himself as he's being he's, humbled. He's being humbled, that's exactly <laughs> a great point. Yeah. I mean, he was, yeah. It, Did he humble himself, then he wouldn't be in trouble. That is the best point right there, thank you. Because you're about to be humble, king, and then he was about to be humble, and he was passive, not active. And he became like an animal. And then by the end of, the, of, of, of chapter 4, he says, I praise and glorify the king of heaven. So he realizes, at that point, he realizes, you know, oh my, I, 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 I'm not God. And um, I, I don't know if we could actually take his words as, okay, wow, look at that great theology he has. No, he has the very basis of theology, that he talked trash to Daniel's God, and Daniel's God did what Daniel's God did. He realized, I'm not Daniel's God. He's God and I'm not. And Nebuchadnezzar had to become like an animal in order to learn what it meant to be a human being with God. And when it comes to being a human being with God, it's what Nick said. He's God and, and we are not. And we are not in control. we got to stop living like we're in control. And especially if we you know, pray good prayers and sing good praises on a Sunday morning, but then Monday to Saturday we're living like we're in control. What are we really saying? And that's like we're throwing ourselves living under the sun. And uh, Psalm 49, 12 kind of echoes this. But a man, despite his wealth, cannot endure. He's like the beasts that perish. And the animals all die. At some point, we're all going to die. That's just the way life is because that's the way death is. And that is um, a very humbling perspective. And we get that here right smack dab in the middle of this text. Our conclusion is in verse 22. So I saw, it continues here, so I saw there's nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work. Because that's their lot. And that word lot kind of means a portion or inheritance or kind of what you're going to get. Uh, for who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Well, there's that idea again. That, you know, he, he struggled with that last time. Where he, here he was, he, he, he had accomplished so much, but then he realized, yep, but I've got to leave it to my kids. And who knows what they're going to do with it. There's nothing better for a person to enjoy their work. So we can actually enjoy this life. There's something about this life that we, we should enjoy. We should find enjoyment. We should, um, I, th I really think that, uh, was it uh, Frederick Nietzsche had, one of his issues of Christianity was, uh, he basically said, and I'm going to paraphrase here, that's like the pagan worldview is that, hey, there's no eternity, so might as well enjoy your life. And he summarized the Christian worldview as, yep, um, life is all about eternity, so you don't, don't enjoy this life. And he was saying, what's more, what's more attractive? Somebody who's not going to let you enjoy this life, and you've got to wait till the afterlife? Or someone who's uh, saying, there is no afterlife, so have fun? And the obvious answer there is the second one. The pagan worldview is that much more attractive. So just have fun. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, the king would say. And that's... Are we to live that way? I mean, 
I think I think one of the things um, I, I mean, there was a, a goofy book written out there that says uh, your best life now. Obviously, we're not saying this is going to be the best life now, we're, but bottom line is it doesn't mean we can't enjoy this life. Mm-hmm. Obviously, because if this is your best life now, that means that your next life must be hell. Mm-hmm. But um, no, this is this is not our best life now, but it doesn't mean it has to be a bad life either. Mm-hmm. Again, this is like the third time now in, in these chapters in this book so far that he said, make the most of it, enjoy it. Be happy. This is a gift from God. Sounds like purpose there, too. Find yeah. purpose in what you're doing. Yeah. Appreciate what, what you have. Mm. So we got some kind of closing questions here that we wanted to kind of wrestle with. What does the biblically, the biblically literate Christian, what do we know about the future that Kohelet doesn't? So you, you sitting here listening to this, this, my voice right now, as a Christian who's read the entire Bible, you have an advantage on the author or authors of Ecclesiastes. They didn't have the entire Bible. They didn't have um, you know, the Gospels or, or the Church Age, any of that stuff. They had none of that. Um, so what advantage do we have as a biblically literate Christian about the future that this guy doesn't have? What do you think about that, Mick? What, what, what is something you have that Kohelet doesn't have in terms of like uh, the future or even the end? Well, the yearbook answer, we all know this is that we have Jesus. We have the cross. We have the resurrection. We, we already have the victory. That's the difference. They're waiting for that victory. They're mm-hmm. waiting for the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. We, we live in the aftermath of that. We're just waiting for the rest of it. Mm. Yeah. It sounds like all he is is with Romans 3, the wages of sin is death. That seems like all he has is that first mm-hmm. part. Yeah. He just has the wages of sin as death. Yeah. He doesn't have the gift of God of, of, of eternal life. He doesn't quite... I mean, he's got this idea... We, he has that to a degree. Eternity is in his heart. He gets it as a concept. But I don't know what... Because then he's at the end. He's like, well, I don't know if, if, if when I die, if my spirit's going to go down to wherever it's going to go, just like it did with all my, you know, my animals or whatnot. They're, uh, you know, they're eventually just going to die and have to bury him or whatever. And, and, and where does their little thing go? Their mm-hmm. spirit or soul, whatever they have. I don't know if he knows what they have. Mm-hmm. Um, but does it go anywhere? Does it just go into the earth? I mean, what, what's... I don't think he under... He, you know, we come from dust and the dust we're going to return. That's something that we, we read and we, we mm-hmm. take ashes on our hands or our forehead on, on, on Ash Wednesday with that idea and that perspective of from dust I came into dust I'm going to go. Yeah, and Mick, you, you nailed it there. What what do we what do we get that he doesn't get? We get the idea of you know when Jesus says I am the resurrection and the life, and then he tells Martha in the Lazarus story, "Do you believe this?" Mm-hmm. and and it puts her on the spot, and that that that's that's something that we as Christians have. We have that assurance. We have that that's a great blessing that we have. That what's what makes a Christian funeral. Um, hard but not as hard as it could be mm-hmm. um, a non-christian funeral is a lot harder than a christian funeral because we because with, with a christian we don't grieve like we don't have any hope we actually have hope and i don't see he him having a lot of hope here that's something that we have that he doesn't but see the problem with me asking that question is that so many christians then would would land their plane right there and say well see so why should i study this what value does this guy have what value does Kohelet's perspective bring, even though it's limited? Like, what, what, what would I have to learn about this guy? Because I already know about eternal life. I already get that. So why, 
So, so Mick, what value does studying this chapter here even bring? Because he's so limited in what he knows. Bottom line, I mean, life under the sun is still the same. Mm. We just have the knowledge of something else. But while we're still here, the under the sun applies both to Christians and non-Christians. This is what, something we're all going through. Mm. Again, it's the idea is that we're not getting any sort of advantage or, or leverage. or the, the word that it actually uses in the Hebrew is yithron. We're not getting that. That, you know, we, we try to manipulate life. We can't. It, it's all under God's control. So I put this on the sheet here, but it sounds like what Nick is saying here. We still need to live life between birth and death and to do so the right way. So that, you know, I guess basic philosophy is you're, you were born, you were going to die. Regardless if you're a Christian, your non-Christian neighbor was born and your non-Christian neighbor one day is going to die. So we all have that in common. And regardless of the fact that, 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 that Koheleth or Solomon, whoever's writing this, doesn't know eternity like you know eternity, Christian. You're still was born. You still was born, and you will die. I mean, that's that's it. I mean, you life. You need to live life between your birth and your death a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I think the advantage of of Ecclesiastes is that's where his focus is. Mm-hmm. His focus is not on eternity to the point that you know the New Testament books especially are about eternity, and he's focusing on. Now, how can you live now in a way that shows who you are and who you believe in and what, what, what your priorities? And we need to live life. We still need to live life between birth. So it doesn't matter if you believe that you're going to heaven or you're going to hell to the point that you still need to live this life a certain way. And you know, Jesus says, I've come that you would have life and have life to the full. So what's the deal then? I mean, what, what, why... Why are you just focusing on the afterlife and not focusing on now? You've got to focus some aspect of yourself on now, living the right way now. Otherwise, why would there even be things like the fruit of the Spirit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why would we even have to worry about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Sorry, that's a YouTube video my kids like right now. <laughs> I can't keep, keep saying that. Why would the fruit of the Spirit matter if life is all about eternity and not about now? We have to live a certain way. We have to live in a way that honors God. In First Corinthians ten thirty one, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's like God expects you to be obedient now. Jesus says, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say?" He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about now. How we live this life, and yeah. Um, so the next thing here is about Carpe Diem, and that, that was my one of my favorite movies um, in my early adulthood. My mom and I really enjoyed this movie, Dead Poet Society. Mm. Um, and there's a scene in there where he, he takes them out into the uh, in like the this old college, and, and he takes them into the, the trophy room where all the pictures on the wall, and every one of those pictures, all those trophies, all those things, they, they're all dead, and they've some of them long dead. And he's trying to speak, what would they say to you, students? What would they say? And he says, carpe diem, seize the day, gather ye rosebuds while ye may. And, you know, I, I love scenes like that. They remind me that, hey, I've got to live this life. I've got to, you know, make a difference in this life. And I've got to take advantage of opportunities given to me. And I don't think Koheleth would disagree with that. But the problem is, that's all just self-fulfillment. That's just kind of like living the best life. Now. That's just kind of like, yeah... I'm just going to live my life 
so that I'm happy and that uh, I get what I'm going for and it's a lot of selfishness and and again we discussed last last week it doesn't work he's you're not gonna find your satisfaction if you live that way so I wonder if there's something deeper here Mick would you be able to give Kohelet a statement of faith here is there something about the way how would he how would he seize the day but do so in faith what what would be the faith of Kohelet here or the teacher hmm. have you ever thought about that yeah it's not self-fulfillment in the way that no. I, I just got to find myself and, and find what I like to do and do what I want to do. There's something deeper there. What would he say? I mean, I'm, I'm trying not to get ahead of the book <laughs> at this point because ultimately he's going to bring it to a big thing that he, that he, uh, Solomon brings it to in, in, the, uh, in Proverbs, which is fear God. Mm. Trust God. Fear God. Remember mm. God. And, and that's where he's going to bring it back to because we can't control any of these things. Mm. Um, these things are beyond our control. And uh, again, the ability to enjoy is a gift of God. And it's going to be repeated throughout this book as we keep going forward. You know, we're going to see it. He gives us the ability to enjoy. So we can enjoy the here and now. You know, I mean, and I, I think of the Beatitudes, you know, happy are those, happy are they. And he gives you all these examples of being happy. So there is something about happiness in this life. Yeah. So you can still seize the day, but seize the day to live a life that God, that honors God, yeah. that, that seeks to give God glory, that seeks to, you know, from, from Kohela's perspective, maybe he's trying to grasp what God has done. And uh, like he says in verse 14, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Notice he's not saying everything that I do will endure forever. Everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. Mm -hmm. I like to say God's sovereignty is like a train going down the tracks. And nobody or no thing is going to derail that train. It's mm -hmm. gone. There's no plan A. There's, a there's, there's no plan B. There's a plan A. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. Yeah. God does it so that people will fear him. Wow. Yeah. And that's, as, as, as Mick shared, as the book ends... He's going to get to the, this is the end of the matter, and this is what it's going to be. So spoiler alert, if you want to look ahead, you can see where, where he's going to land his plane. And if you got the Bible app, it's the it's the, uh, the verse of the day. It is the verse of the day. I saw that, yeah. <laughs> I saw that. I'm like, oh, wow, do I text me? What do I do? Oh. But yeah, so this whole idea of modern self-fulfillment, you know, it's, there's a reason Jesus says you want to follow after him, you got to deny yourself. Yourself's going to be in the way. Mm -hmm. And we've said that before. Um, so is the Christian supposed to re repress life now for the sake of the eternal? Well, I just gotta just, I mean, does, does Nietzsche's criticism have a point? Is there something about this life that I just have to re repress? That I have to not live this life in the sense of, okay, I just got eternity waiting for me? Is there some kind of a, almost like a, a self-abasement of life? I just don't really have to worry about this life right now. And I know that there are Christians right now, especially, uh, we have brothers and sisters in Nigeria right now who are really going against it. And I know there's, there's people even here or all around the world who are dealing with this coronavirus and how it's changed their life. And their life is completely, it's, their, their routine has changed. But do we sacrifice right now versus eternity? I, I'm wondering about that. And I mean, obviously from a Jesus standpoint, there's... You know, whoever, you know, loses their life for my sake, 
you know, gains their life. It's like it's living for Jesus means you're not going to live for the self. So there's something about a, a sacrifice of the self that you're not going to live to please yourself. You're going to live to please God. So there's something about that. You're not just going to get what you're, what you're trying to get out of life selfishly. But I'm not asking that. I'm asking, do you have to repress life now for the sake of the eternal? Like I have to live this potato sack over my face kind of life or I can't ever enjoy anything because the moment I do, I'm sacrificing my eternal reward. That's the perspective that maybe some have and like living defensively. I think part of the thing is we, we just need to understand that whatever we do, we don't control the outcome. Mm -hmm. We can do the right thing. It doesn't mean that it, whatever happens afterwards, we're going to get rewarded for it, at least under the sun. Um, but we still have to do the right thing. You know, uh, I was just kind of thinking as, as you were speaking right now, you know, if, if, if this was written today, a time for the coronavirus and a time for no coronavirus, mm. a time to fear and a time for faith. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to realize that, yeah, there is something here to be afraid of. But at the same time, we have someone to trust in who's greater than, mm -hmm. than any and all of our fears. And that in the interim, we have to continue being the salt and light of the world. Mm -hmm. We can't stop. And there's an example in the scriptures of that in Luke 19. Mm. Um, there's a, this, this master who's entrusted his estate to uh, servants and talked about minas. And I know another, another section talks about talents, but this was the minas. And he gave certain minas, a certain amount to this guy, a certain amount to this guy, and a certain amount to a third guy. And, and there was one guy who just kind of lived defensively, who buried it who just kind of like I'm not going to do anything with this I'm just going to just, just completely just ignore it it was almost like the ostrich with the head mm -hmm. in the sand mm -hmm. he was just not doing anything about this because he was afraid that he was going to I don't know what he was thinking of he was afraid that his master was 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 going to treat him badly or something and, and, and it's like oh well I'm just not going to I'm just not going to do anything right now for the sake of the future and the future response and many Christians are like that with like oh I just don't know if I should enjoy this life because the moment I enjoy life I don't know I'm sacrificing something about for heaven if I enjoy life now. I'm supposed to deny myself. I'm not supposed to really enjoy things. And I don't think he'll help with agree. I would say, you don't know. You, 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 if you're playing in God's box, in God's sandbox, as it were, God's given this to you. Enjoy mm -hmm. it. Find joy in this life. Because the, the biblical example, that guy who lived defensively, mm -hmm. the master wasn't happy with him. Yeah. And he, he actually got punished. Yeah. So uh, that's a great reminder of um, yeah, he, he feared God, but he didn't have his life centered on God. Because if he truly feared God, if he truly was seeking to please his master, he would have done something differently with the mina entrusted to him. So you have years entrusted to you. So how are you living these years? Are you living these years to please Jesus? Are you living these years to please God? If so, if he brings you something that you can enjoy, why are you not enjoying it? Right. Well, what, what's, what's the point of this self-abasement? Like, oh, I just can't enjoy life. What's the point of that? that that's a, you're like in, inserting yourself into a depressive mindset about this. It's like, I just can't enjoy anything. That's not really the way to live. And honestly, I can't imagine your friends or coworkers or neighbors, when you finally get to see them again, I guess you can connect with them on social media right now because everyone's at home. But I can't imagine that lifestyle being remotely attractive. Who wants to live that way? Good things happen. I can't ever enjoy it because then I'm going to lose heaven. Who wants to live that way? I think Koheleth, if he was here talking to us, would say, listen, you have some good things that happen in this life, and you have some, he would say, you've got a time for everything under the sun. Mm -hmm. 
under the heavens, a season for every activity under the heavens. And enjoy those times. Realize that those times are in his hands and live life with enjoyment, and, but an enjoyment that, that, that realizes that God is in control, yeah. that God is this very giver of these good things, and you're, gonna, you're going to enjoy this life in a way that honors him and gives him glory. And that preaches in the New Testament too, Mick, not just the old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, when you really look at the book of Ecclesiastes, it is the most New Testament book in the Old Testament, mm. when you really think about it. How so? Well, it, it brings everything back to faith. It, it brings about faith in God. I understand that Ecclesiastes is, uh, we'll kind of bring this to a close, I, that Ecclesiastes is, is a book that, that uh, has meant a lot to you yeah. personally yeah. And, and as you've gone through the season of your life. Yeah, yeah. during my, what I call my, my lost weekend, this was the time where I, I had actually turned my back on God. Um, I was kind of an agnostic stage in my life where I was just kind of looking for an alternative because I was kind of bummed with the Christian life. Ecclesiastes seemed like the only book worth its weight. Mm-hmm. It seemed like the only one that actually spoke truth. Um, and it, it actually seemed more out of place than even Esther, which never mentions God, or than Song of Solomon. Uh, but it seemed like an honest book, and because, especially because of its brutal assessments of things like everything is meaningless, there's nothing new under the sun, what does man gain by his hard work? It was like... Uh, Really, man, this is this it? Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and and even then, I, I looked at the closing assessment. And I thought, oh, this is this is wrong. But the whole book is good. Other than that, but you know, I've come to realize how much I was wrong back when, um, and uh, and how much really this book is a, a very strong book of faith in God, you know, and it does so by really dealing with it in a very real and honest way. Mm-hmm. That's why I really think this is a great faith book. Close any better than that. This has been uh, Joel and Mick from Masterclass Theology from Ecclesiastes chapter three. And uh, let us know, by the way. Uh, I don't know how I don't know how you would maybe leave us a message or something. If if you like this format, I think we're going to try to go forward with this. But uh, God bless. Thanks for letting us share. Adios.